Well, this morning we are going to continue our study in uh, Romans chapter 12, if you want to be making your way there. Um, we're looking at this, this sermon series titled, Therefore, Living in Light of Truth. Because of the truth that God has given us, we ought to live in light of those things. Well, you know, I'm 50 years old now. Um, for that matter, I'm about to turn 51 just in a couple of months. And I can honestly say that I have been a student in a school for half of my life, if you can imagine. 25 years, actually plus that, if you count the time that I, I taught uh, in Christian school and Bible college. And, and in all of that time, in all of those classes, one of the classes that I disliked the most was biology. Now, I loved physics, um, but human anatomy and physiology was just not my cup of tea. My wife, Joanna, uh, didn't necessarily enjoy sciences either. She was a, a musician and so forth, but she loved anatomy and physiology. Uh, she took AP anatomy and physiology in high school, and, um, you know, she loved it. But thankfully, because I was a Bible major at Central Baptist College, I only had to take one three-hour science course in my four years of study to get my bachelor's degree. Um, the problem was is I put that class off until the last semester of my fourth year. Um, took it with a couple of friends. Uh, you know Brother Dan Carson, who used to serve on staff here. He and I were in that class together, also along with a, uh, a friend we, named, we called Julio. Uh, some of you know Brother Julio as well. But um, the good news is that I passed. You know, as they say, D is for diploma, right? Um, and I will say I had the highest D of those three that I just mentioned. Um, you know, what is truly sad about this is that now that I'm older and my body is slowly disintegrating, it would be helpful to have a better understanding of human anatomy. You know, I've learned a great many things from my doctor. Uh, fortunately, I have a doctor who is willing to talk to me, answer my questions, and explain the things again that I didn't understand the first time as he, as he described what's going on in my body but what I've come to realize is that everything in the body is interrelated in one way or another and there are parts of my body that I never really think about that have a huge impact on my overall health so this morning I want us to think about for a moment the liver all right the liver now, when just hearing that word, liver, bring back, brings back terrible memories of my childhood. Um, I, I hated the liver, and I dreaded the days that mom would cook liver. But we all know the importance of our heart. We all understand the importance of our lungs, our, our kidneys, our stomach, our brain. But what is so important about the liver? Well, here are a few fun facts. <laughs> Sorry, it makes me laugh just to call them fun facts. But anyway, a uh, few fun facts about the liver. Did you know 
that the liver is the largest internal organ in the body, and it's the second largest in your body, the only organ larger would be your skin. The liver isn't just an organ, it's also a gland because it secretes bile into the intestines and the bile that the liver creates, it can create up to one liter of bile every single day. Now one of the hundreds of jobs the liver has is metabolizing fat and I'm thinking, well, if that's its job, man, it should have been even bigger maybe, I don't know. But this is done through that, uh, bile that it produces. It also metabolizes proteins. It also metabolizes carbohydrates. And besides filtering, oh, no, I skipped over. The liver also filters out bad things that you put into your body, such as toxins and drugs and, and alcohol. And besides filtering out those bad things, it also has a lot of functions related to your blood, such as your ability to, for your blood to clot. And you think, well, blood clots are bad. Well, not if you just cut your finger. Blood clots are really good at that point in time, right? Um, did you know that your liver has the, the capacity to hold 10% of your body's blood all at one time? That doesn't mean it's always got 10%, but it does have that capacity. It also pieces together a hormone involved in blood pressure regulation. So if you've got a liver problem, you also have a blood pressure problem. It also handles bilirubin from broken down hemoglobin, and it affects your immunity system, both the innate immunity as well as the adaptive immunity. All of these are supported by your liver. Now, one, of the, one function that the liver has that most of us are aware of is it serves as a multi-level or multi-layer detox pathway. Uh, so that, you know, if you, you're drinking things that you shouldn't be drinking, the liver does what it needs to do to make it water-soluble so it will pass out of your body. It, that's one of the things that the liver does. And so that's why alcoholics often will refer to the fact that they have pickled their liver because the liver can't do it anymore. So one last fun fact. Are you ready for this one? The liver can regenerate itself even up to 70%. If up to 70% of the liver is extracted, the leftover tissue can regenerate and restore the liver's function 100%. That's pretty cool. I mean, who knew that the liver did so much? Well, probably somebody because I got this from... Uh, doctors on the internet so you know but it functions in a way that helps the body and that's just one organ one member of our bodies and frankly it's not really even that high on list of importance as to what the liver does or our perception of what it does Without the liver, our bodies would not function the way they are supposed to. But folks, that is also true of almost all the other organs in the human body. Things, you know, there are some who debate the usefulness of some so-called vestigial organs. And if you're not familiar with that, these are the, the organs that they say are, are no longer useful to us. Things like the appendix or the tonsils or, or your wisdom teeth. 
But the fact is, is that all, all in all, the organs of our human body function together so that the body can function the way it was designed to function. And without every piece, it just doesn't function well. This is the reason that the Apostle Paul used the human body as an image of what the church should be, what the body of Christ ought to be, what it should look like, and how it should function. The phrase in Romans chapter 12, verse 6, that's translated as having gifts, it's actually referring back to the organs and limbs that are mentioned in verse 4 that we talked about last week where it says for as in one body we have many members and the members do not all have the same function so oh and by the way for you teachers that are out there that word function at the end of verse four it's a greek word praxis you're very familiar with praxis exams if you're a a teacher that's the etymology of that word uh so how are you going to function as a teacher? That's your praxis. That's what this is talking about right here. So in one body, the church has many members. And the members have different functions or praxis. And the members have different gifts. And all of this is a result of God's grace. So as we read this passage today, I want us that, to pay close attention to the context because we're going to focus in on Romans 6, 7, and 8. Sorry, Romans chapter 12, verses 6, 7, and 8. But we cannot understand a text without its context. And so uh, as we did last week, we're going to read beginning in verse 1 and read through verse 8 today. So I invite you to look along with me in your text. If you don't have that, you want to use the YouVersion Bible app, there's a, a link to that in the bulletin or the text is above me on the screen. So the Bible says in verse 1, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So as an individual member of the body of Christ, I 
am a vessel by which God graciously reaches out to mankind through my words and through my actions. This is God's grace. We learned last week again, grace is the Greek word charis. And I, I will apologize for using these Greek words today, but it's so important for us to understand these. These are just a couple that I think you need to know. Grace is charis. And so as we think about charis, the grace of God at work in our lives that provides us with salvation, it also it is the way that God works in and through us in our lives. Because charisma, you've heard of that English word, charisma is the word for a spiritual gift in the singular or in the plural, charismata refers to spiritual gifts. And so the grace of God, charis, is at work through spiritual gifts, charismata, at work in me and through me. God does not want me to live my life under my own power, but always in dependence upon him. And notice that space in there. He wants me to live my life in dependence. Not independent of him, but in dependence upon him. And depending upon the outworking of his grace. So when I choose to live in his power and under his control, the impact of my life on others will be beyond anything that I could think or imagine. So I want to challenge us today to be impactful. To be impactful. So how do you do that? Well, I think the way that we are able to be impactful is to understand the purpose and the roles of spiritual gifts in the body of Christ and allowing the, word, the Lord to work through us and in us in order to accomplish his will. Now, before we get to the, the purpose and the roles of spiritual gifts, I think it's important to understand a few theological keys for understanding these spiritual gifts. So stay with me for just a moment as we think about this. You see, in verse 6, it says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. This concept of gifts, as I said before, is charismata uh, or charisma. And there has been a misappropriation uh, mm -hmm. There has been a misappropriation of this word charismatic in Christian, the Christian realm um, that I think has been a detriment to us uh, as Baptists. You see, the neo-Pentecostalism movement of the 1960s, which was also known as the charismatic movement, made its presence felt among churches in the United States. I was not around during this time, but I have read those who were, and they were, you know, the things that they were teaching, they wanted to absolutely not um, be associated with that. You see, this movement stressed a definite, tangible experience of baptism in the Spirit, which was a separate and distinct experience from conversion. 
So they felt like they trusted in Christ, and then at some point in time later, then they would be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Now what the Bible teaches is that when we trust in Christ, we are baptized in the Spirit into his death, and the Spirit comes and indwells us in that moment. Well, this neo-Pentecostalism or charismatic movement taught that um, it was a, a secondary thing. And they always pointed to speaking in tongues as the initial evidence that an individual had received the baptism in the Spirit. And so because this movement was so popular back in the 60s and 70s, and because it was classified as being charismatic, Baptists have not been inclined to emphasize this terminology for fear of being misunderstood. We didn't want to be classified with these people that believe this. And so we just stayed away completely from the word charismatic or charisma or charismata in the Greek. The unfortunate result of this aversion was the minimalization of the work of the Holy Spirit in, in the lives of believers and in the body of Christ. Because of this aversion, I don't know if you remember it, if you were here, but I preached a sermon series years ago called The God I Never Knew. It was a 10-week series focused on understanding the work of the Holy Spirit. Why in the world would I spend two and a half months talking about the work of the Holy Spirit in a church that we are all filled, controlled, indwelled by the Holy Spirit? It's because we have pushed that away as Baptists too often. You know, when I'm around preachers of other denominations, they will often joke about the fact that Baptists don't believe in the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Baptist Trinity, they would say, is God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Word. Folks, that's not what we believe. It's not what we believe. Now, the Spirit of God speaks to us through God's Holy Word. But the Holy Spirit of God is the third member of that Trinity. He is the one that is most active in our lives right now. And so we don't need to ignore it. So what is this concept of charismatic? What's the biblical meaning of charismatic? Well, again, it comes from that word grace, charis, uh, which in an English transliteration, we spell it C-H-A-R-I-S here. You have the Greek, uh, well, chi, alpha, rho, iota, sigma, charis. And so this word for grace, which is charis, is the root for this idea of charisma. It is the root for charismata, which is our spiritual gifts. According to Colin Brown's New International Dictionary of New Testament Theology, which is a big word and it's a bigger set of books. It's kind of, if I want to know something about a Greek word, I look at all the easy resources first. And if I really want to get in deep, I go to this particular resource. According to Colin Brown, charismata refers 
to the manifold outworking of the one grace in individual Christians through the Spirit. So in other words, spiritual gifts is the outworking of grace through the Spirit, by the Spirit, in the life of an individual believer. This concept of charismata being the outworking of God's grace in a believer's life through the power of the Holy Spirit is essential for our understanding of spiritual gifts. Our spiritual giftedness is a work of the Holy Spirit through us. It is not some latent gift which the, the gifted individual can use at his own will. This is not a gift that God gave us authority over, but rather it is the work of God in us and through us according to his good pleasure, according to his will. What do I mean? Folks, your spiritual gift does not belong to you. Hear that. Your spiritual gift is not your possession, but rather your spiritual gifts are the most common ways in which the Holy Spirit of God works through you as you keep in step with him. You may hear me say, well, my spiritual gift is teaching and administration. Did you hear what I said? My spiritual gift. That's the problem with our terminology is we refer to it as something I possess, but it's not my possession. It is the work of God through me. The most common ways in which he works in me and through me. We often talk about using our spiritual gifts, but that's misleading terminology. We are not using our spiritual gifts for the Lord, but rather the Lord is utilizing us as a vessel to demonstrate his grace in a particular situation. We are being used by him as an outworking of his grace. So let's approach these spiritual gifts now with that mindset. Okay, I think that's the key for us to understand, theolo theologically understand these spiritual gifts. So let's look next at the purpose of spiritual, spiritual gifts or the purpose of the outworking of God's grace. As we consider verse 6 in, in the context of verses 4 and 5, we cannot forget about the greater context of verses 1 and 2. Consider the connection, if you would, uh, with the body that we find in verse 1 and the body that we find in verse 5. You see, it says in verse 1 that we should present our bodies, our soma, the, the whole com completeness of ourselves, present all of us to God as a living sacrifice. And then in verse 5, it says, and we are one body. And, and individually members one of another. So just as we are to present our whole body as a living sacrifice to God, there, we are also one body in Christ. James Dunn points out that there is obviously a conceptual but also a theological link between the body of verse 1 and the body of verse 5. And he goes on to say that Membership of the, 
of the body of Christ is not to be separated from the daily service involved in human relationships. So when we think about the body of Christ being members one of another, we have to realize that we are presenting our bodies to God to serve one another. It is that interdependent relationship that we have with each other. So as we present our bodies, we're presenting our bodies to the body of Christ to be used for the good of the body. Now as we consider the purpose of spiritual gifts, we cannot forget the proper definition of that we just discovered. So even though verse 6 says having gifts, we cannot think of these as our possessions because grace is experienced only as it is given through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the charismata of the Holy Spirit is only available when we are growing in our relationship with the Lord. So let's think about this, this terminology here of having gifts. It's important to note one more thing about this concept about not possessing spiritual gifts. Because it says there, having gifts, let us use them. Now, interestingly, um, that phrase is not in the original manuscripts. There's nowhere in the Greek where it says, let us use them. Uh, they add that in, and the reason they do that is to help us to understand in English how we are to deal with this. Because it, in the original it just says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Prophecy in proportion to our faith, and it goes on from there. Um, in the King James Version of the Bible, which I brought my King James with me this, this morning. Um, if you have a King James, you'll notice as you read it, it says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of our faith. Going on, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Every time in those three verses that it said, let us, let us, let him, every single time that's being added in. And if you're looking at your King James Version of the Bible, you'll notice that those words are in italics. That's the King James's way of showing you that this was added in to make it more, more understandable in the English so we are not using these gifts of grace, but rather the Lord is utilizing us as an outworking of his grace. So they're not gifts that we have that we go use, but rather they are gifts that are given that God uses us to demonstrate his grace. I hope I'm not repeating myself too much but i really want you guys to understand this this morning grace charismata the spiritual gifts is an outworking 
of the grace of God. So back to the main question. What is the purpose then of spiritual gifts? It is the outworking of God's grace. And that is what enables the body of Christ to be able to function. You see, the charismata are the reality of charis or the reality of God's grace coming into visible expression in the actual being and doing of members of the body, one for another in their mutual interdependence. Folks, this is a beautiful picture of what the church is, is supposed to be. It is a beautiful picture of the purpose and the function of spiritual gifts in the body of Christ. He said, this is James Dunn, he said, that it is an expression, a visible expression in the actual doing and being. I take this and I expound on it, and this is what I came up with. The outworking of God's grace and spiritual gifts is the visible expression of God's grace in who we are and what we do as we live in interdependent relationships with one another in the body of Christ. It matters who we are. Our character, our integrity. It, that matters. But it also matters how we interact with one another. What we do in that interdependent relationship with one another. Paul described this beautifully in Ephesians chapter 4. In fact, it's just a few verses after he listed out some of those uh, spiritual gifts um, or those charismata that had been given to the church. In Ephesians 4 verse 11, he says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. He goes on, he says, well, this is the reason I gave those charismata those outworkings of God's grace to the body of Christ. He said, until we attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. The goal of functioning with these spiritual gifts is spiritual maturity. He goes on to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. The whole goal of living in community with one another, having interdependent relationships with one another, where we demonstrate the work of God, the, the, the grace of God one to another, the whole purpose there is to help us to grow up. Grow up in our spiritual walk. Verse 15 there in Ephesians 4 goes on and says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up. In love. Did you see that? When each part, when each member, when each organ is working properly, 
what happens? The body grows so that it builds itself up together in love. And by the way, we're going to talk about love next week because if you look at Romans 12 verse 9, it's all about love. So if the goal is to be a visible expression of God's grace within the body of Christ, how are we going to go about doing that? Well, Ephesians 4 says that we grow in unity, we grow in knowledge, and we grow in spiritual maturity. Romans chapter 12 says that we do that by being a living sacrifice, not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewal of our minds. And then it goes on and says we do this by being humble and being self-aware, practicing sober judgment as, a, as we looked at last week. You know, there's another passage that deals with this, and that's in 1 Peter chapter 4. And I want to read just two verses from 1 Peter. It's chapter 4, verse 10 and 11. Peter says, As each has received a charismata, a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Do you see that? Our Spiritual giftedness is to be used in such a way that we are serving one another. To build up the body so that it may grow and be built up in love. So he goes on and he says in verse 11, Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order... That in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So as we look at this in, in 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 10 and 11. We see these primary roles of spiritual gifts. And the roles that we see in, in spiritual gifts are the roles of speaking gifts as well as serving gifts. It says, whoever speaks, let him do so as one who is speaking the oracles of God. Did you notice in Romans chapter 12, verse 6, that the very first charismata, or the very first spiritual gift that is listed here, is the gift of prophecy? Did you see that? There's been a lot of debate about whether this, this spiritual gift of prophecy refers to the foretelling or the foretelling. What's the difference? Foretelling is proclaiming the truth. Foretelling is uh, more like prognostication, telling what's going to happen in the future. And you know what? Prophets of old in the Old Testament... Uh, that's what they did, is they foretold of what was going to happen. Well, honestly, I, I think the debate on whether this is talking about foretelling or forthtelling has muddied the more important issue that we need to consider here. And the, what we need to look at here when we think about uh, this prophecy let me get back to Romans chapter 12. When we think about this prophecy, it's not a position. It's a gift. We're not talking about that God has put prophets amongst us. 
There, there are no more prophets in our midst to, to tell about the future. And, you know, I've got a cousin uh, who was convinced that Jesus was going to come back this past Thursday. Hold it. No, I'm sorry. That Jesus is going to come back this coming Tuesday. That's what it is. Um, folks, Scripture's pretty clear. We don't know when that's going to happen. Um, there are no more prophets amongst us to tell us when things are going to happen. But there is the gift of prophecy that is the proclamation of the oracles of God. The truth of God it, that is inspired by the Spirit living inside us. You see, prophecy refers to inspired speech. Or in other words, uh, these are words that are given to us by the Spirit. Not necessarily something that we consciously formed in our mind, but it's divine utterance in the, in the idea of the Holy Spirit of God gives us the words we need to say in a particular moment. Isn't that what Jesus said? Luke chapter 12, verse 12. He said that the Holy Spirit would teach you in the very hour what you ought to say. When we keep in step with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit will put those words in our mouth. That's what happened in Acts chapter 6, dealing with Stephen. Uh, it, verse, verse 8 says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and those from Cilicia and Asia, a whole bunch of people, rose up and disputed with Stephen. They were having an argument with Stephen. This is just an ordinary fellow. And notice what verse 10 says about him. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. God will put the words in our mouth that need to be spoken when they need to be spoken if we keep in step with his spirit. God uses our minds. God uses our knowledge. God uses our wisdom when we speak for him. But he also fills our mouths with the words that he would have us to speak. This is the charismata, the outworking of the grace of God in speaking the truth. Now, one last thing on this portion of the verse. The phrase it uses here, in proportion to our faith, it describes how the prophet functions, or more precisely, how the act of prophecy comes about. That is, by the prophet speaking Fourth, in proportion to his faith, or in other words, in his dependence upon God. If God is working in us, through us in this prophecy, then we, he will do so in proportion to how much we are depending upon him. So that is the first of these speaking gifts. This next one we find in Romans chapter 12, verse 7. And that is uh, the gift of te teaching. 
says the one who teaches in his teaching. Verse 8, it speaks of other speaking gifts. Exhortation, which another way of referring to exhortation is the concept of encouragement. And then it also mentions leadership and that they should lead with zeal. You see, these are all ways that God can work through you. It's not a gift for you to possess, but it is a way in which God's grace can work, be the outworking of his grace in your life and through your life. So these speaking gifts include prophecy, teaching, exhortation, and leadership. But 1 Peter 4 also talks about service gifts. 1 Peter 4 verse 11 we read a minute ago said whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplied. You see this service oriented charismata in this passage included serving one another. It included making contributions for the needs of the body. And it includes this uh, serving the body with these acts of mercy. Three different things that are mentioned here in Romans chapter 12. These are ways that God enables you to serve. The charismata, the outworking of his grace. And all of these are done by the strength that God supplies, according to 1 Peter 4.11. Again, it is through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not about us. It's about him at work in us and through us. Now, before we move on, I, I do want to point out, um, because if you're looking closely at the screen, you might notice that, oh, Brother Wade may have made a mistake up there. Because Brother Wade mentioned leads as a speaking gift and leading as a service gift. You see, I think there are some charismata that can be classified in both categories. Because if you are to be a good leader, uh, you are to be a servant leader. The Bible is very clear about that. And so when we think about these, I don't think we should put God in a box. Um, you know, this is the working of God in us and through us. And so uh, we better not put him in a box. Some of these gifts that could go either way include leadership. Also, I think administration uh, is a, a spiritual gift mentioned in other places in, in New Testament that is both a speaking gift and a service gift, as well as evangelism. You may think of evangelism more as a speaking gift, but um, serving others is, a, is key uh, to being able to evangelize or share the truth of the gospel with another person. So those, I think, are a few that should fit into both categories. But as we consider how God might choose to utilize us in the outworking of his grace, let us never forget the words of Philippians 2.13. Do you remember what that says? For it is God who works in you. It is God who works in you, both to will and to work or to do according to his good pleasure. It is God at work. And so as we 
try to figure out how he is going to work through us. Let us never forget that it is him. It is he is the one who is at work. All right, let's quickly move on to the impact of our spiritual gifts in the body of Christ. The impact of our spiritual gifts in the body. First thing that I notice looking at, at our text again, Romans 12, is that our impact depends upon our authenticity. Our impact depends upon our authenticity. Notice the descriptive words used in the last three charismata or the last three spiritual gifts in verse 8. It, said, it says here, the one who contributes, he should do so with generosity. The one who leads, he should do so with zeal. And the one who does acts of mercy, he should do so with cheerfulness. Folks, when serving as an instrument of the outworking of God's grace, we should not serve begrudgingly. We should not serve lifelessly. We should not serve sorrowfully or despondently or wearily or lazily. Why? Because if we do, people will notice they will notice our inauthenticity. Or another way you could put that, they will notice our hypocrisy. We must be authentic as we serve. Our impact depends upon our authenticity. And if we do these things authentically, then people will also notice and then God will be glorified as a result. So our impact depends, first of all, on our authenticity, authenticity, but number two, it also depends upon our dependency. Our impact depends upon our dependency. James Dunn says, the mode of life acceptable to God is never one lived out of one's own resources, but always lived in dependence on God. You may be a really talented person. You may be a person that the world would say has a lot of charisma. God doesn't need our charisma or our talents or our abilities. He just wants us to make ourselves available to him. Some of the greatest preachers of the 19th and 20th centuries in the United States that I have read about. Um, biographers have said if you ever met them, they would be some of the most ordinary, boring people you'd ever meet. God wants us to live depending upon him. You know, when... There's always going to be discussion about how my spiritual uh, gifting is either supernatural or, you know, does it utilize natural giftings as well. 
And I'm not going to try to argue this point this morning, nor will I try to attempt to give you an answer of how much the balance is between the supernatural divine working of God and our natural abilities. But here is what I am going to say from what Paul teaches here in Romans chapter 12. The words and actions that would fall under the category of spiritual gifts or the charismata that we've talked about so much this morning. The words and actions that fall under that category are only those words and actions that demonstrate and communicate the grace of God and build up the body of Christ. If what we are doing and what we are saying is not demonstrating the grace of God and building up the body of Christ, then we are not being utilized as the outworking of God's grace. We're living in our own power and our own plans. So once again, we come back to this issue of dependency. Are we dependent upon the Lord? You see, it all boils down to our relationship with the Lord. Are we walking with him daily? Are we renewing our minds through the power of his word? Are we hiding his word in our heart so that sin will we, so that we will keep away from sin, as the psalmist tells us? Are we spending time every day confessing that sin to the Lord, casting our cares upon the Lord through prayer? Don't be anxious in anything, but by everything, but in prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God. Paul tells us in Philippians 4. My prayer for you is that you will have an amazing impact for the kingdom of God by being utilized by his spirit. The only way we can do that is to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto him. Allowing him to transform our minds. Transform our attitudes to become more humble. Give us an awareness of how we come across to people so that we can be the people he wants to use. Living dependently upon him as we live interdependently among one another. Using those gifts to serve one another. To love one another. To build up the body of Christ in love. How is God going to use you? Well, it all depends on how much of you you give to him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for our time together. And Lord, I just pray that you would uh, use your word to speak to the hearts of individuals this morning. Father, I just pray that as we think about these things that, Father, our our heart's desire will be that we will honor you with our lives that we will live in dependence upon you in our lives so that you will work in amazing ways through us 
for your honor, for your glory. Lord, I pray that that is the prayer of each one here today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.